You're listening to Trek FM. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. you felt it i mean <coughs> excuse me uh hey guys welcome to uh, trek fm's local watering hole i don't know where that came from uh we're just gonna get together this is gonna be a little bit different this is our supplemental episode we just kind of gathered a a, a group a posse a a gang of people uh a, a group of rebels maybe one might say uh to talk about something that that there was a great disturbance in the internet and no i'm not talking about kim kardashian um Star Wars decided that uh, Thanksgiving was going to be the best time to drop a trailer on us for Episode 7. And uh, we have all been waiting, I I think, a long time now uh, since we heard that this was going to be happening. They were actually going to do Episode 7, 8, and 9, even though we don't call them that anymore because it's just Star Wars The Force Awakened. Um, Guys, uh, I'm excited to have you first... uh, Daniel, it's great to have you back uh, on the 602 Club. How's it going? It's going great. I'm I'm happy to be back and excited to talk brand new Star Wars on the big screen. What what else is is what else is there really? I don't know. I mean, I, I think for at least a good week, I saw nothing but Star Wars tweets, um, and I I don't know. What about you, John? Uh, it's great to have you back, John Mills. Uh, Thank you. Welcome back to the 602. Glad to be back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited. And for the first time ever on podcasting, we've got Will Wynn with us. How's it going, Will? It's going well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm glad you could be here. Um, I think that this is going to be fun. So, guys, um, first and foremost, uh, Star Wars fan, and uh, just give me maybe a minute and a half of where your fandom lies. John? My fandom goes all the way back to when I was a wee little boy. And my father fatefully hey, took, me, lad. <laughs> uh, took me uh, to go see uh, Star Wars in the movie theater when I was knee-high to a grasshopper, and a true love was born, and I've been uh, a Star Wars obsessive pretty much ever since. I, I've gone through the different stages of fandom. I've been a fan. I've been a fanatic. I've been, a, I've been an obsessive fanatic. And I have hit more of a mature, I would say rational fandom at this point, um, despite the presence of my two Star Wars tattoos. So you you would say that you're probably an Obi-Wan Kenobi style fan. You're yes. a fan, but you know, you're very even keeled about it. 
I, I try to keep things in perspective, yes. Okay, nice. What about you, Will? Um, I would say that my fandom really started with the special editions. So I was born in 1986, so that was for the most part before uh, the actual original first run release of the original trilogy. So I saw it, you know, after the fact when it was re-released. So I really had to develop the um, the fandom afterwards. So when the special editions were released, it was just the explosion because it was the same time uh, that Shadows of the Empire was being released. So I remember that was new Star Wars, right? But it was new Star Wars except for the movie. So they had the toys, the comics, the video games. And that's where I kind of settled in. And for me, the Star Wars fandom was always X-Wing, TIE Fighter, Rogue Squadron, X-Wing Alliance, those old flight sim games. But um, to John's point, I also have a Star Wars tattoo, actually. Uh, it's the Rebel nice. Alliance tattoo right up here. And, you know, before Star Trek, there was Star Wars. So a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, before Warp Cores, there was always Star Wars. And obviously, I think the, for me, my fandom has definitely shifted towards Star Trek. But, you know, there will always be Star Wars, first and foremost. Daniel, how about you? Well, uh, I myself, like like Will here, 1986 born. Um, but I do remember having the VHS, the VHS tapes um right before the the special editions came out and so to me star wars has always been around it's always been part of 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 my nerddom um but i'm so glad that he mentioned uh shadows of the empire oh my goodness why let's get some dash rendar in these new movies come on that would be fantastic Uh, any of those classic (laughs) (laughs) any of those classic classic star wars games man oh my goodness it's such a huge part of, of my childhood so, I, you know, there was a time, and I probably can't do it now, but there was a time, the original trilogy, I could recite line for line. It's, it's been a while since I've actually watched them, but uh, also a huge fan ever since I was a kid growing up. So uh, I could not be more excited to, to, to live more in this universe and to see more of, of what we can get. Well, and it's, it is funny for me, you know, um, I remember watching, I'm, I'm born in 79, so... Uh, it was VHS for me. I just, you know, I, I, I just passed the points uh, of, 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 I missed it. You know, I didn't get to see Return of the Jedi in the theater or anything like that. But very quickly after that, you know, the VHS was there. And, and for my, I'm pretty sure it was my eighth birthday, we watched all three movies in one night. And that night, fandom was born for me. Um, and I didn't even know about Star Trek really. The, yet uh for so for me the wars was the first thing that i became an obsessive fan about and uh you know at that point there aren't any toys there's nothing out there anymore um you know unless you find it in, in second hand stores or a friend of yours maybe had some or something like that so uh, you know the special editions came out and of course i loved it because it meant all the toys were back and then of course george decides in 99 you know to give us the phantom menace and then attack of the clones and revenge of the sith and then know what was going to happen and and then i fell in love with the clone wars movie the the moment it came out in theater i went and saw it i thought this is fantastic i really love this and then disney bought star wars and destroyed the clone wars and i was pissed um and uh because i really love that show to me like i i i wanted more of that and, um, you know, we got Rebels now. It's great. I enjoy it. Um, and we've got a brand new trailer to talk about. So 
for you guys, uh, first impressions, I mean, we only have 88 seconds, and really there's only about 30 or so seconds of actual footage, so we've seen less than like maybe what, one hundredth of this film, if if that, uh, <laughs> so there's not really a lot to go on, but it does give some some impressions. Daniel, what do you think? Oh boy, I'll start off, I guess, huh? Um, overall, positive experience, right? Um, you, you're pulled in right away by this stormtrooper. What's going on? He's, he's, what's happening? I don't know. Uh, ah, right. And then I don't know. I'm not going to recant the whole trailer right now, but uh, I think it's a positive experience overall. You could do it like Arnold. So the the man, he is getting up and he is in. Oh, there he is. He just stands up in the desert and he is worried. And then, oh, there are some stormtroopers. Oh, wait, wait. Before the stormtroopers, I forgot there is the little droid ball. <laughs> I, I could do that. I probably won't do that. Um, but, you know, it, it, uh, walking away from the trailer, basically, especially the, the tail end of the trailer, the last seconds that we get, with the John Williams score, I did any any problems I had with the trailer were completely erased, and I was like, I just that's the Millennium Falcon, people, don't you understand? It's on, it's it's going to be in the movie theater again. Like I was just, I do have some problems with the trailer overall, but I just, I mean, oh, but to me, it's just like this is Star Wars. I felt that Star Wars vibe, and I was excited, and I cannot wait to see the full trailer whenever it's released later on down the line. What about you, John? I watched it alone first. Um, I was out for a run, and uh, a friend of mine, like I knew they were going to do it. They were going to release it when I wasn't paying attention because I spent that whole morning. I was like, is it up? Is it up? Is it up? Is it up? And it wasn't up. So I go out. I get a text message. And I'm like, oh, I knew they were going to do this. So I get back. I watched it once alone. And yes, the moment where you know, the Falcon bursts on the screen does tug at the heartstrings. You're like, oh, there it is. And the earlier stuff was intriguing. Uh, no mistake about that. But then I showed it to my kids and my kids were kind of like, yeah, okay, that's all right. And I was like, okay, well, all right. Well, I, I think that all of us are spending a lot of time hammering on, uh, teaser trailer did it accomplish what it was supposed to i by the end of the trailer i said to myself you know the colors look right the framing looks right the falcon flight movement is different than what has been done before uh you know we've never chased the falcon quite like this in an atmospheric environment before like doing the loops and everything so we know that we're going to get treated to some sort of like big acrobatic aerial sequence and the movies have always been about delivering those sort of you know slam bang pow chase scenes and and battles i was most intrigued most hopeful coming out of the trailer because of what i thought at the time was benedict cumberbatch's voice but it didn't matter that it was Benedict Cumberbatch. I just thought it was a cool bad guy voice. When I later found out it was Andy Serkis, I was like, wow, man, you really nailed that. So I enjoyed that. Seeing it the third time, I realized it's structured in a lot of ways the way the Into Darkness trailer was. Because you have this evil bad guy voice talking over, and it almost has the same sort of meter to the dialogue 
of you think you're safe. You are not like it has that feeling to it of, you know, there's been an awakening and everything. So I would say that the trailer accomplished what it needed to and it looks and feels good overall. Um, so, you know, it's it's a success so far as I'm concerned. Will, how about you? Um, so for me, I think that the trailer really restored a sense of surprise and wonder. I think I was really used to the prequels kind of baking the cake in terms of my expectations. So this trailer really subverted my expectations because there's for the first time a black guy, you know, a black stormtrooper. And I'm so used to personally seeing, you know, white faces in Star Wars. And usually when I see a non-white face, it's usually Samuel L. Jackson or um, uh, Billy D. Williams. So seeing the very fact that John Boyega, who was in the fantastic Attack the Block, that he is right front center. He's a stormtrooper. So it subverts the idea of maybe he's not Janko's clone. Maybe he's an, uh, an imposter, kind of like Luke, pretending to be a stormtrooper. Maybe he is an Imperial stormtrooper. So right there in that opening shot, it subverts all my expectations. And I think in the best possible way. Because for me, going into Star Wars, I think for me, my expectations are just so like low in comparison to what I've seen in the past. I didn't want to be disappointed. But having that entry point of John Boyega, he's surprised. You know, Seeing that, it was just like, wow, I am hooked right from the get-go. So that's my initial impressions. I think everything else has the trappings of what you feel Star Wars to be. It's got the classic X-Wing with the really... Uh, it, it has the homage of the old X-Wing helmets, but clearly it's an evolution, the clear Rebel Alliance symbol. You have the X-Wings. They look so familiar, and yet there's something different about them. You have the Millennium Falcon, but if you notice, its uh, radar dish is different. It's not the circular radar dish it's rectangular is that a callback to when the dish was lost in the death star uh the final run into the second death star it's those little callbacks that make it familiar but it's it's all it all starts with that first you know expectation bending moment for me it was great i think it is interesting what you're saying and one of the things i just kind of wanted to mention is that at this point and and even beforehand in in the original series um, and, and the original trilogy, none of the stormtroopers are clones at that point. Um, they're all just recruits. And so it, it, I never, it, yeah, I never expected that everybody looked the same under those helmets anymore. The discussion about the stormtroopers has always uh, intrigued me, uh, especially in terms of like with the trailer and everything right now, because until Rebels came out, there was nothing on screen to, uh, to dissuade us that the troopers were still clones in my head canon. Once it was established in the prequels that they were clones, I said, Oh, okay. They're still clones. They're, you know, different person's clones or different people's clones because Django died. Uh, the, you know, and the original was destroyed. And so, you know, whatever happened happened, but they were still, whether different batches of clones or a different guy was whatever. It wasn't until rebels, really shattered that on screen because Rebels is considered canon. Everything else was expanded universe. So in my head canon, I would always ignore the expanded universe stuff because in terms of watching the films, I mean, even when I was, even when I was growing up, 
I thought that the troopers were all the same person. You know, the the uniformity of their outfits and height and all of that stuff spoke to me. I mean, you know, when, I, I guess I'm the oldest one of the, the group here. A lot of us as kids, we speculated for a while that they were robots. We had no reason to believe differently. Um, but then, you know, of course, you know, they're, they're not. I think that it's fair for somebody to be taken very off guard by the idea that the troopers aren't clones. I don't know that John Boyega being in the outfit uh, says that they're not. But, you know, if it does, if there's conscripts, I think the more interesting possibility with the troopers, with the new trilogy, is whether they're conscripts or clones, are they actually agents of the Empire? Or has the Republic turned into meet the old... Has the Republic turned into meet the new boss, same as the old boss? Has it become corrupt by this point? That that's sort of the thought that that pops into my head with the troopers. And when I when I said that too, I was going directly off of what you know Dave Filoni has said. Um, you know, and he's the creator of of the Clone Wars and now Rebels, and has worked with George. You know, for you know, had worked with him for over ten years. So. Um, it was just something that I've heard him say before and, and he's reiterated too, especially with, you know, what we've seen in the trailer. You know, for me, my first impressions were were honestly probably just this. Huh. That that was my first impression. I wasn't blown away. I, I wasn't really excited, unfortunately. You know, I... I there were... Unlike you, John, I... I, did, I I felt the JJ-ness of this trailer, and I didn't feel any George, and that worried me a lot, uh, because this is not a standalone Star Wars film, this is episode 7, and therefore it really needs to feel like the other two trilogies, or else it's 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 going to just be out of place. You know, the standalone films are the places for people to do something a little bit different with Star Wars, but the the you know an episode uh, of the saga needs to feel like the ones that came before it and so um george definitely opened up the world a lot to give you a lot of different options with the prequels but at the same time we're also in that very lived in universe again it's not the pristine look of the republic it's we're back to they're trying to rebuild and we have no idea what's going to go on. So yeah, for me, it was just kind of like, huh? Okay. Um, I, I loved the Falcon and, and the music at the end, you know, that's, that's, I mean, John Williams is a genius and anytime that music comes on the screen, it, that's fun and exciting to me, but everything else, I was just like, Okay, so um, I think this is probably really kind of a good time to just jump into those things that you did love about the trailer. Like, what is it that, if there was anything, what got your heart racing, Will? Uh, so I think I mentioned it before. It was really just seeing, you know, the X-Wings. It was seeing the Millennium Falcon, seeing the TIE Fighters, seeing that Stormtrooper armor. You know, this this change in terms of, you know, the the, the facial, I think the black and how it was painted on is clearly different but it's clearly evocative of perhaps a darker stormtrooper a, a new design aesthetic but it was still obviously very much the same stormtroopers we, we know and love and i think just seeing those little elements you know it didn't take much 
I think that's the, the, that's why the trailer you know has that impact. Is I think for most people, we were just waiting to see a new take on what we've already come to love about the original trilogy. I think that's why most people it was welcomed so warmly. In that you know it felt so familiar. It wasn't pod racers. It wasn't boss nas. It wasn't all these new things where we're trying to reconcile that it is Star Wars. It's these visual touchstones that we immediately see. Yes, Star Wars, got it, I'm sold. So that's what I enjoyed about it. What about you, John? Well, there, you know, I think sometimes people forget that, um, you know, Kirshner brought his own aesthetic, uh, more camera, camera movement, different lighting. And with Return of the Jedi, which admittedly uh, Lucas had much more of a heavy hand in as a producer, uh, Marquand still had some visual touches. Um, so there was not a, a uniformity to the visuals. So I, Matt, to speak to you know sort of your earlier point, yeah, there are aspects of this that look and feel. You can tell it's a J.J. Abrams movie even from the little bits that you've seen. But blended in such a way that visually these shots I can reconcile. Now, Will, to to speak to sort of the the prequels thing is I think that the most concerning thing, and I know we're, we're talking about the positives, but but the positives are both are also a potential negative to me about the trailer because one of the things I did love about the prequels because I do love the prequels is the fact that they defied my expectations. They took the story in a direction that I couldn't expect and that I truly enjoyed watching. My greatest fear about these movies and the trailer gave a hint that this might turn out to be the case is that Star Wars fans are going to get what they've been asking for. And, you know, since we are in the 602 club, I'll call out to Uhura in Star Trek three, where she says, be careful what you wish for. You just might get it. And so with the teaser, I think that there is a real positive in terms of what it shows that it's a continuation of the story while at the same time, not focusing on the old characters, saying here are two characters that you're going to have to care about that have nothing to do with what's come before. But at the same time, there are enough elements hearkening back to the previous ones that you can still have that little bit of trepidation of, is this just going to be a two hour love poem to what we all grew up with? I don't want that. I want it to follow the ring structure. I want it to be a tone poem the way Lucas always intended. So there you go. What about you, Daniel? Uh, Just real quick, uh, John, I don't think anybody asked for a mini ball rolling R2-D2. So it may be not everything in the trailer is, is what people expect. I'm just, I'm teasing you, but um, (laughs) I'm I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, But Actually, to me, the two strongest elements, honestly, are the opening, the Stormtrooper opening. Actually, both the Stormtrooper moments, the Stormtrooper opening and the Stormtrooper uh, squadron or whatever you would call them inside the drop ship. I was excited about that. I don't know what's going on. Why do we care about a a group of Stormtroopers, uh, you know, aside from, like you said, uh, the Clone Wars or or anything like that? But why why would we care about this group of, of people unless presumably maybe that character is on that ship? And then the ending. So it's the, it's the beginning and the ending that really gets me exciting. In the beginning, it looks like a, fil- a familiar location. 
Um, but apparently, by all accounts, not Tatooine. I don't know. That's what I've Wrong. heard. It's Tatooine. No, it is. It, it has been. It's got to be Tatooine. There is no way that's not Tatooine. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. But the, you know, I think they're John Her- Harris Harris you, John Harrimaning us again. Uh, so that kind of thing. But uh, anyways, um, but the beginning and the, and the end, where it is, there are are, are elements uh, of Star Wars, but maybe tweaked a little bit. Like like John said, it's kind of a positive and a, and a negative. Sometimes that works, and sometimes it doesn't. And we'll maybe we'll get into what doesn't work. But this the new stormtrooper look, and maybe this the new Falcon kind of movement and activity does kind of work for me. Uh, but I was gripped from the beginning, and I got excited at the end. The middle was kind of meh for me. You know, I I think that. Um the thing that I responded to, and it, I responded to it with with 2009 Star Trek and in Into Darkness was, you know, JJ knows how to make a good looking movie, and they used a lot of real stuff even in the Star Trek movies as much as they could to make it feel real. So JJ likes to do that, but JJ also loves to use CGI to his heart's content. Um, the 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 best part that he's got now is that uh, Lucas honestly pioneered. CGI in in the prequels so that we could have what we have now to where it looks so fantastic we don't even question it anymore it it doesn't have any kind of any bit of it that we're like oh is that CGI we know it is but it looks so good it doesn't even matter um and I think that's one of the things that this when I when I think of things I like about this trailer is it's it looks great it really does and even the things that I don't like about the trailer it still looks good uh, which again, JJ's really good at making things look great. So I, that for me, I'm excited. Uh, and again, for me, it was uh, hearing the John Williams music. I mean, that's new music at the very beginning, even though it's just like some bum, bum, bum. I you know that's that's new. Uh, and then it is a it is a new recording of of the the theme. You know with. Uh, just sounds fantastic bombastic is as good as ever so that's a thing that i'm really glad you know that that's star wars you know without john williams you don't have star wars um you just have something else and so he's just as integral as anything and um falcon i mean it's the falcon i i love the millennium falcon and and i don't know how you couldn't love that and um i think that's a real strong point for this trailer and something that I really liked and John I liked what you said because you know fans getting what they want is always a bad thing I think in the end because we don't really know what we want we think we do and then we get it and we're like oh I don't really like that you know um that that's usually what ends up happening we we don't really know and that's where I think the best storytellers give us the unexpected and JJ is in the same position that, you know, in a lot of ways that Lucas was with the prequels. It there's a ton of expectation. Um and yet at the same time, he also has a little bit more open canvas at this point. You know, uh, Lucas is kind of bound by having to get to the original trilogy. They're just making this stuff up at this point, you know? I mean, they're using whatever George gave them and they're putting together a story and, you know, making something what they what they want to make there there's no 
you know how much George uh, had had a say and where they were going to go with the 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 three films for the episodes. Nobody really knows. We know he gave them the story treatments and how that played out. Who knows? So, uh, but they're they're very much in, the, in in a lot of ways the same position. You know, fans are going to have really high expectations, and I'm sure in the end, half the fans will love it, and half the fans will be like, eh, you know. So. It's a hard thing, and uh, I'm just hoping, this is the other thing that I loved, is that in 2009, J.J. defied my expectations and made me love in, uh, his his first Star Trek movie. Um, I'm not talking about Into Darkness, but specifically 2009, I loved that movie and went and saw it twice in one day because I liked it so much. And uh, I'm hoping that, that you know he can bring that over as well to Star Wars because... I was in that same position. Like, you, what? You're going to redo, you're going to do more Star Trek and there's no Shatner, there's no Nimoy, what? You know, like, he's not even playing with any of those parts except for the fact that then he brought in Nimoy and I was like, okay. So, he really is playing the same game again in Star Wars. Like, he's he's bringing the old people in to to pass it off to the new people. So I, th- I just think it's funny. And um, if there's one thing that I love, it's not so much about the trailer, but that's being carried over and he was able to do something that I really enjoyed. So that's my positiveness there. Were there some things for you as you watched 88 seconds of well, okay, so when you watched 30 seconds of actual footage, <laughs> were there any things that you, you didn't like or that did kind of like give you a pause to think, uh, I'm not quite sure if, yeah, I'm not sure if this works. What about you, John? No. God's honest right, answer it. right there. No, there, there was nothing in there that made me go, there's not a chance this, no. I, I, you know, like I, I have trepidation about x or y because of you know like you said expectation setting and everything like that but there is nothing in this trailer that says that is a red flag to me that says stop really think about going to see this there's nothing in there like that what about you will you know if, if we're just doing this exercise just to i think find something that kind of that's perhaps tweak i it's i like like john said it's not a red flag but i think for me it's just one of those Tatooine again, you know, we're seeing this this desert planet again, and I know that obviously Tatooine has uh, significance in the mythos. It has significance for lots of reasons, and it's very much a, a visual touchstone, too. It was why it's been used as trailer in that way, to show that, you know, this is Tatooine that we have seen before, but it's it's something that I have always felt in a lot of franchises, Star Trek and Star Wars included. It's almost like a, a small universe syndrome, where it's always the same set of planets. It's always the same set of characters or they all happen to know each other or they happen to know someone that knows everyone else. And obviously it's it's possibly the most minute nitpick possible. But when I saw, you know, Tatooine, I'm like, oh, Tatooine again. It's going to be, are they going to do the, the escape pod sequence again? It's going to be the type of, you know, uh, bizarre, you know, Watto's bizarre or that type of, uh, you know, alien milieu that we saw in the prequels and that we saw in the original trilogy. You know, it's a, it's a huge galaxy. So, you know, obviously it's only 88 seconds. So clearly there's going to be other planets. There's clearly going to be Coruscant and other planets like that. But seeing Tatooine again, you know, I'm just like, oh, here we go. Here we go again. So, I, like I said, it's the most minor nitpick. But I think the, out of 88 seconds, that's probably going to be the only thing that I would take issue with. 
Daniel, what about you? Okay, uh, I guess I have two big problems with with the teaser. Um, uh, number one is, what is JJ's problem with space? Does he just not like space? He doesn't like putting spaceships in space. Like we we get both the X wings and the Millennium Falcon like ridiculously, insanely close to the ground. Why do? We, and the same thing with the Into Darkness. Not only Into, uh, Into Darkness trailer, but the Into Darkness movie overall. He puts the Enterprise underwater, which some people had a problem with. I didn't have a problem with it at the time, but now it's like, why do you need to put X-Wings literally inches? This is a Star Wars trailer, and we get no space shots at all. Okay, it's an 88-second teaser. Fine, I'll grant you that. But why do we need to put spaceships, like, inches? Like, we have all these X-Wings traveling inches above the ground. Maybe there's a plausible reason in the plot. I don't. It's know. just like Rogue Squadron. It is a lot like Rogue Squadron. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, I, I, I was irritated by that. I was like, at first it was the X-Wings. I'm like, fine, maybe they're like, they have to go under radar or something. I don't know, even though it doesn't make sense in the Star Wars universe. And then like immediately after that, it's like, here's the Millennium Falcon, like doing corkscrews 25 feet above the dunes. I'm like, why do we have to do this? Sorry, I'm sorry. That irritated me a little bit. And uh, I know there has been some talk about this, uh, but this was honestly my first, the first thing I said to the people I was talking to when I watched the trailer was, that's a stupid lightsaber. That doesn't, I don't, this doesn't make Boo. any, it, <laughs> I'm sorry, it makes no Boo. sense. It's the dumbest thing I've it's, ever seen it's in It's taken us life. 35 minutes, so we've gotten to the heart of it. <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> listen, come listen, on. This is, this, is, this is what that scene reeked of to me. Darth Maul did something new and interesting. Episode one did something interesting with the lightsaber. How do we how do we make the lightsaber cool again? How do we like how do we like really trip people out about this? And it's like we could have tiny baby lightsabers coming off the sides, and then that will be cool. And it's like no 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 no. This reeks of you like trying to improve on a classic iconic weapon. Just don't bother. Just let it go, man. You can just Make it a lightsaber. No, 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 no. Okay? I've listened to this lightsaber nonsense for long <laughs> enough after this trailer. Okay? More than half of the design decisions, if not all the design decisions in the Star Wars saga up to this point, they are made with a fair amount of whimsy to them just because it looks cool. And I think that it speaks more about us as fans that, yeah, Lucas tried to top himself all the time. So that is why the double-bladed saber came in, was he was trying to top himself. And that's why ship designs evolved. And that's why the Super Star Destroyer was there instead of just the regular Star Destroyer in Empire Strikes Back. And that's why, oh, the Death Star 2 looks so badass compared to the original <laughs> Death Star. It looked like a big, mean Cyclops. <laughs> all of this stuff comes... From, and Dexter Jetster with the the... With the four arms. It's a great design, and it's all whimsy. The dewbacks are whimsy. The ball, like, the lightsaber and the ball droid in this preview actually, uh, like, warmed my heart because I was like, oh, cool, there's a sense of fun. Who cares why those cross blades are on there? It looks like a broadsword, and it's pulsing. And I know when I see this guy turn this thing on, that's bad news, man. That is, nothing good's gonna come of this. And that's awesome because he's the bad guy and nothing good should come about when he turns on his lightsaber. And the ball droid, I love the soccer ball droid. 
<laughs> they're going to merchandise the heck out. out of that thing. I'm sure they Darn tootin'. I mean, people already have tattoos know, of the soccer ball. <laughs> Literally seen it. So, um, you know, I, I, Daniel, my first reaction was you were with the lightsaber. I didn't like it because it felt fan wanky. I, I just feel like it was a fan film. That's what that was my first impression. What I when I heard some people talking though online, I, I heard them say maybe the bad guy in this film, you know, obviously the there's been an awakening. Have you felt it? You know, the, this idea that the, the, the force has awakened on the dark side and the light. There has been a, a reawakening of the force in a way that hasn't happened yet, which, you know, d- again, defies all my expectations because I immediately think that this is going to be a little bit like the EU and that Luke will have set up a Jedi temple and, and he's starting to train guys and everything. So apparently that's not what's happened. So already my expectations are being defied. My thought that I I, I just kind of gleaned from from reading was, what if this guy is a he's a Sith fanboy, and he's created basically his own lightsaber, and the reason it looks like it does is because it's not really stable. You know, it pulses and it looks different because you know a real Jedi lightsaber or even a Sith saber has a consistent beam and and it, it. it shines consistently, um, and uh, you know that's one of the hallmarks of a true lightsaber. And so the idea that this could be a, a lightsaber from, you know, somebody that created it and it doesn't have all of the knowledge of, say, a Luke or anybody else who's created a lightsaber for real—that's kind of exciting to me. Uh, so I, for me, the other thing I had to remember is like this is thirty seconds of a movie. And I know absolutely nothing about the rest of it. I don't know the story. I don't know the characters. I don't know what's going to happen. All I know is that the original cast is back with Chewie. And that's about it. You know, they're going to have the Falcon. They're going to have X-Wings. And, you know, apparently they're going to be back on Tatooine. Apparently Daisy Ridley rides a fudge sickle. (laughs) Um, You know, which to me that was the other thing. Some designs in Star Wars have been crazy but with speeders, George always liked like the, you know, he likes cars and he, he likes fast looking things. And that thing just looks ridiculous. It's like an Astro minivan. Me. But yeah, it was like an Astro minivan in Star Wars. But hey, again, we're on Tatooine and people don't really have a lot. So, you know, um, I had to check my brain in the sense of my fan brain and everything else and realize I don't really know. And my, I I try to be like John, I think, in in a lot of ways. I need to be Obi-Wan Kenobi at this point. And I need to just come in to the movie with a cool head, watch it. And if I don't like the finished product, that's different than judging what I don't honestly even know. And, And I just had to remind myself of that because... I didn't have a, a strong emotional reaction to this trailer, which is I really wanted. I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I mean, my wife and I are re-watching all the Star Wars that's been out. So we, uh, except for the holiday special. Uh, okay. So we've made See, it through that's the first. Just, you're cheating. Yeah. That's not Well, maybe we'll get there. Um, you know, we got to find it online first. Um, <laughs> so we watched the first two prequels, and, and now we're watching through the Clone Wars chronologically before we get to episode three. So, I mean, we're doing the whole thing here and we've been watching uh, Rebels together. And, and so I I love Star Wars and, uh, you know, 
so far I haven't been really blown away by anything that Disney's done with Star Wars yet because I haven't fallen in love with Rebels like a lot of people have either. Um, and not the same way I have with the Clone Wars, so I'm still giving that time to let it maturate and, and hopefully become something I love. And, and so, you know, in the end... It's Star Wars. I want it to be good the same way it was Star Trek. I want it to be good. And so my 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 you know my goal going into it is is to love it. Well, guys, just how do you feel about the film now? You know, we've seen a trailer, a teaser trailer and and it sounds like we may actually get the the actual trailer for the film with uh, Age of Ultron, you know, which is super awesome. You know, I mean that that looks great. So, um, how do you guys uh, you know feel about the film now? Especially since I mean, this year we're gonna get some great films. When I mean, we just got announced, the James Bond film Spectre are gonna be coming out. Uh, Jurassic World is coming out. There's there's a lot of great movies coming out next year. So, uh, how do you feel about the film after 88 seconds of uh, footage? Um, I think this is gonna be the only opportunity for us because it's only 88 seconds for us to just wildly speculate and slash put in a wish list of what we'd like to see in this movie. And obviously, you know, take this, you know, uh, a little bit tongue in cheek, but for me growing up, I love the expanded universe. I think Matt, you probably share that love too. Grand Admiral Thrawn was one of my favorite characters. The fact that he was an Imperial Admiral, the fact that he wasn't force sensitive and the fact that he was an alien in an established xenophobic empire. So obviously, I probably am positive there's zero percent chance that there's going to be a Grand Admiral Thrawn in this movie. I would absolutely love it if they had somehow managed to fit that in or fit other little tidbits of expanded universe that we've seen before. I mean, I think we're going to see the Jason, uh, Jason and Jaina, the Solo twins. Um, I think they're trying to build towards that type of continuity in terms of uh, an older Luke Skywalker, uh, a Jedi mentor. Um, so there's a lot of threads there that potentially, you know, a lot of fans might might appreciate as Easter eggs. Maybe Luke is married. Maybe Mara Jade does factor in as a character. Um, but overall, I think for me, this just kind of wet my appetite because you know there is a lot that's left to be said. But what I've seen so far, I mean, it's definitely nothing that would be a red flag or something that I would uh, immediately kind of disregard. But I think you know, with that said, you know, it would. The trailer itself had a relatively low bar, so it didn't really have to do much to do that. So it achieved what it needed to do, and you know, obviously the 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 full trailer is going to say a lot, and it speaks volumes that the actual older cast, Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, Harrison Ford, you know, they weren't in this trailer at all. So clearly, they're saving that. Clearly, they're going to be uh, some sort of um, opening for them in terms of um, introducing them to the audience. John, what do you feel? Oh, well, I feel that even releasing a trailer, they're going above what they need to do because um, we're all going to go see it anyway. I mean, all they need to do is just hand out leaflets or like send out an occasional email and be like, oh, by the way, remember, December 18th, you know, they don't even need to waste their time putting together really cool trailers or anything like that. I mean, they're going to get everybody in the universe to come and see this movie. And to speak to, Will, your expanded universe comments, I'm going to say that I was one of those people that when they made that announcement where they were like, eh, Expanded Universe, eh, I was pumping my fists in the air going, thank you, oh. praise the Lord, it's done, it's dead, they can ignore it, that's great. 
because the worst possible thing that could have happened with this franchise is if they come back with the movies and they feel constrained to stay strictly within these expanded universe novels and creations that have been constructed uh, in the interim because the only people that's going to please are the people that have been reading them for decades. That's not going to please, and that's not going to please fans like myself who eventually got to a point with the expanded universe where we were just like, this is enough. It's done. So like, you know what? I'll roll it back a little bit. How do I feel about the movie? They very clearly have just thrown the expanded universe out the window and that's probably the greatest thing about the movie that I have seen to this point is this is confirmation that they said, okay, you know what? We're all original all the time. Thumbs up. Yay. I would, I would just say that uh, I agree. I, I don't think that clearly the new movies can't be constrained by that. I mean, uh, you could feel that the franchise itself was being weighed down by its own continuity. In a lot of ways, Star Trek, has that same issue too. So obviously the reboot kind of resolved that in its own quirky way, we'll say that. I mean, I'm putting it in the best possible terms, trying to have it both ways. I think it doesn't have to be a binary. You know, it doesn't have to be a choice where it's all or nothing. I think they could obviously craft their own original stories, but at the same time take elements in terms of having, you know, the solo twins or having a Jedi Praxium or Jedi Academy, those elements, right? Maybe even an Imperial Warlord that's modeled after Thrawn, but isn't named after Thrawn, but those elements of that tactician, I think they could craft that in there without clearly doing that kind of wink and a nod to the fans. I think a lot of fans don't appreciate it. What happened into darkness in terms of just really hamming, hammering home those points in a very non-subtle way. Obviously, it's not the, the, the preferred way to go, but there is a way to kind of build on what's already there, what has worked, and obviously give it its own spin. I, just to respond to this conversation, because this is actually fascinating. If only Disney had an in-house studio that knew how to take existing characters and storylines and adapt them into crazy popular movies, I think maybe they would be served. My point is that, of course, the, I agree that they should never be constrained by the extended universe. Um, but Marvel is not constrained by their ridiculous canon that they have built up, and yet every single movie they release is crazy gangbusters popular and you and like busting the doors open at all of these movie theaters. So no, I don't. I agree with both of you guys that uh, Thrawn and Mara Jade and all of these characters, they, they don't need to follow these paths, um, but they certainly could take elements. And they wouldn't even have to rebrand those characters. They wouldn't have to readdress those characters. They could just say, hey. There is this crazy awesome tactician. Uh, uh, whatever. I'm not. I'm not going to re. I'm not going to rewrite this movie right now. We're not. We're not. Gonna, that's not what we're trying to do. Uh, but I, I, I. That was the conversation that we were having, and it was just like funny to me to think that Disney has this whole other arm of their empire that does this very thing on a week to week basis and creates an entire universe that that pays homage to itself without kind of being bogged down by itself, if that makes any sense. Um, in the same way, I'm like you, Matthew, I'm a huge Star Trek 09 fan. I think it's an amazing, amazing, amazing film. And however, I am unlike you, I'm not a huge Into Darkness fan. And I, so to me, I'm split. I don't know what's going to happen. I can see this going both ways. I can see this being 
one of the best Star Wars films ever. On the other hand, I can see it in the same way, just kind of getting so self-involved and so self-referential and so totally in itself that it's just not going to be entertaining. I, I don't. I, I'm excited either way. Of course, uh, like John mentioned, we're all going to see it either way, right? It's. <laughs> it doesn't matter what they show us. We're all going to go. We're all going to be there opening night, and I just. Uh, I hope. I hope he knows what he's doing, and I and I, uh, I think I think it'll be entertaining either way. I don't think it's going to be terrible either way, uh, but I am I'm I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic that JJ can pull this off, and can at least at the very least make a decent Star Wars film, uh, if not a, a great Star Wars film. You know what? I I want to throw an X factor out there real quick. I is you know who we all keep, and I mean all, not just the four of us, but everybody in the fan base keeps overlooking, and maybe this is what should make us feel uh, the most at ease about the movie, is that, like we like we talked about earlier, there have been different directors who have done Star Wars before, and it still felt like Star Wars, it still worked like Star Wars. Kathleen Kennedy is George Lucas's hand-picked successor, Maybe we should all be, instead of focusing on, oh, J.J. Abrams, oh, J.J. Abrams, we should be saying, you know what? Lucas handpicked somebody to run this and make sure that the next people do it right. Maybe that in and of itself should make us all sort of unclench a little bit and be like, oh, you know what? Let's give her a chance to prove all of this stuff. I I just want to throw that in there. And not only Kathleen Kennedy, but also Lawrence Kasdan is back and he is, uh, you know, helping J.J. craft the story. And obviously he worked hand in hand with George on some of the greatest things I've ever seen. Indiana Jones, I mean, and uh, of course Star Wars. And so this guy has an intimate knowledge of how George's mind works in the same way that Dave Filoni does. And I loved a lot of what Dave does. I mean, just the, the work he put into Clone Wars and I think what they're trying to do with with rebels you know so i definitely trust the people that george has entrusted star wars to on the long haul not just the short haul here with jj in episode seven john champion and i were talking uh just the other night and um he he just said something that was really profound to me he's like look you know jj is a great starter and i love that jj is starting this movie but he's not doing the rest of the series. You know, he's not doing the other two. Um, and so he's just going to do episode seven. And J.J. knows how to start a film and he knows how to kick it off. And then somebody else will come and pick that up. And hopefully that means that it's going to be a gangbusters awesome film. Because like you, Daniel, a 2009, I just can't find much fault with it. It's it's a really fantastic movie. And it brought in a whole new group of people into Star Trek, which... In some ways, Star Wars needs to continue. I mean, it needs the next generation to love this Star Wars movie so that their buy here at Disney pays off. And so, and one of the cool things is that before Marvel came along, uh, really, and and was doing its thing, they were already working, uh, you know, they'd already worked on the prequels, and, and George liked certain things from the expanded universe. And when he liked it, he would throw it in. So the reason that Ayla Secura was in the films, the blue Twi'lek Jedi, is because George was like, 
looking at a comic book and he was like, hey, I like that. Why don't we just throw that in the movie? Because he liked the look, you know, he, he liked what they had done. So, so George wasn't a hater of that. He just, you know, he wasn't going to be beholden to it and, and, and nor should he be. He's the maker. So you can do what you want with it. It's, it's your game. And, and, and now these new creators of, of Star Wars have that opportunity as well. And, and for that, I'm, I'm excited to see new Star Wars. And I just hope that to me, it, it's, it lives up. Like John, I didn't hate the prequels. I actually like them a lot. Um, there's things that I would change. Yes, but God, what wouldn't I change about just about any movie? There's very few movies I watch and I'm like, I'd never change anything about this film. You know, um, you, I think the only films that I can think of like that are something like Empire Strikes Back or Star Wars, the original. Uh, I, there's not really anything I'd change about those movies. Uh, so... Um, I know Drew Stewart right now is screaming at me, but George already changed them. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> uh, you know, but, uh, well guys, I, I just really appreciate you, uh, coming on, to, you know, to talk about this. It's, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it, it's definitely great to just get to geek out about the wars, uh, because as so many of us, that's really was our first love. Um, you know, Star Trek came actually later. And so as much as I love Star Trek and it and it's always there and I don't compare the two because they're very different. I don't feel like I have to. Um, it's great that, that Star Wars is going to be back and um, it's going to be back on the big screen. And I'm, I'm crossing my fingers hoping it's going to be awesome. So, But that's not the only thing that we've been talking about on... Trek FM this week. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. But instead of it being a human being prejudiced against Vulcans because the Romulans look like Vulcans, the Vulcans are taking advantage of themselves looking like Romulans in order to be racist against Romulans. Earl Grey. So he's got the two armrests, and the right one says little, you know, Ensign, you know, Lamont, and little arrow, and then the one on the on the left says Lieutenant Commander Data. <laughs> like a little arrow. Yep. The orb. But when they pull away from that window with Jake and Kira, and they pull away from the station, it's like they're closing the book. They're they're actually closing the back cover of the book, and it's the end of the story. To the journey. How do you feel, Char, about the Borg Queen? Oh boy. I think the longer that I have watched Star Trek, the more I'm in the camp of, I don't know if I like her. The Ready Room. They want you to come across on Archer's side where he can be mad at Trip. But I have a really hard time being Archer being mad at Trip because just think of if we still treated, you know, people of a different race like this. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. That can honestly be the reason they brought Wesley, because Wesley's got nothing else going for him there. I mean, yes, he can lead those kids, but that's just going to be by virtue of his age, mm -hmm. right? I mean, he's 15 years old. Of course, all the other kids are going to look up to him, at least for a while. And then if he ends up being a total tool, then they won't. Commentary, Trek stars. Yeah, yeah well, the learning curve was never meant to be a season one finale. They were going to do the 37s, and then UPN wanted to open season two with it, and that totally didn't work either. Man, you got you to gotta say UPN really ooped it up. Literary Treks. 
what Jerry Taylor talks about with Catherine Janeway's life is it's kind of a series of her relationships. I mean, she should be doing all sorts of fantastic things, right? And instead, we're learning about her boyfriends. Melodic tricks. But there's a whole host of, of people that appear in Star Trek. As I said, most of it is classic courses. It's Verdi, Vivaldi, Strauss, Kreuzkotschke, um, Harry Kim. The 602 Club. This really does have an impact on, I think, the entire you know, comic book world. Dark Knight, Dark Knight Returns still have a huge impact in the way that people view Batman today. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we've been talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're an Apple user, be sure to hit that subscribe button. It really helps us out greatly and it makes it easier for the listeners to find our shows as they search iTunes. But guess what? If you're not an Apple user, we have got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download that MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. Now guys, it's been great having you here. John, where can we find you online? You can find me causing all sorts of trouble uh, on Twitter at Castle Junkie, K-E-S-S-E-L-J-U-N-K-I-E. And if you ask nicely, I will even tell you the delightful story of how that became my internet handle oh so many years ago. And uh, you can also find me on the Trek FM network, Commentary Trek Stars, and uh, a little show I do with my buddy Craig, uh, Words with Nerds. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. And Will, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me at Twitter at, at Will Wynn, uh, W-I-L underscore Wynn, N-G-U-I-N. It's a very unorthodox way of pronouncing Wynn, but it's Will Wynn, so it's easy to remember. And I'm in the Babel Conference, and I'm all around the internet talking about geek stuff, talking about Star Wars, the original gateway drug for all things geeks. So get me up there. And Daniel, where can we find you? Well, you can find me here on Trek FM uh, every week. Uh, on, I mean, we've we've been talking here about Star Wars: The Next Generation, but you can find me on our Star Trek: The Next Generation podcast, Earl Grey, every week with uh, with myself and my co-hosts Philip and Darren. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter as well, and my handle there is One Up Dan. That is the number one, not the word. Another way that you can help us keep all of our shows coming to each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you can find all of our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks that we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. And we really appreciate your support And we really appreciate any support that you can give us. And we hope that you'll join the team. Again, you can find all the details at patreon.com. I'd like to thank our associate producer, Norman Lau. You can find Norman on Twitter at Norman Lau. You can also find him at the Babel Conference. And of course, he's also a big supporter of the Star Trek Axonar podcast, as well as the Star Trek Axonar project. And you can find him on that Facebook page as well. And I really appreciate Norm and his support as our associate producer here at the 602. If you'd like to contact us, you can do that at trekfm slash contact. Just choose a show Select the right one there, and it'll send an email to us. 
you can leave us a voicemail. Look in the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm. You can find us on Twitter at trekfm. We're on Facebook, of course, at facebook.com slash trekfm. And you can find us at the Babel Conference, our listeners-only group. Just type the Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at trekfm and click discussion on the menu bar. Before we go, I'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps bring the 602 Club and all of our shows to you each week. And our sponsor for the show is Audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all the books that you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have time for. And as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice with a 30-day trial just to see how great Audible is. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank Audible for their support of the 602 Club and the network. And don't forget to check out Enterprise in Space, a project of the nonprofit National Space Society that will design and launch an 8-foot orbiter and return the craft to Earth. The NSS orbiter will carry more than 100 student-designed science experiments into space, and you can help make that happen. Visit enterpriseinspace.org to find out more and get your seat on the mission. And of course, guys, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can also find me doing literary treks with Chris and Dan. They're uh, talking about the books and comics of Star Trek, so I hope you'll join me there, as well as the orb where I talk about Deep Space Nine all the time with Christopher Jones as well. And then, of course, you can also find me on my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. And thank you so much for joining us, and may the Force be with you.